Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder here at Generations Church, and I'm joined today, as always, by my friend and the lead pastor at Generations, Jeff Luddington. How you doing, Jeff? I'm really well. You know, you never mention how good-looking I am for the other end of this podcast. I'm sitting right across from you, and it just doesn't enter my mind, so I'm not sure what that means. All right, man. I don't know what to think about that. I gotta, I gotta, yeah, I gotta prepare for the intro, I guess. (laughs) All right, well, yeah, no, it's it's hard for me to focus. You are, you are so good-looking. Much better. I can't keep my eyes on my notes, man. All right. Uh, so, all right. If we you're, promise to be honest for the rest of our podcast. There you go. If you're just joining us, uh, we are in the middle of a series called "Questions from the Classroom." We are answering high school students' questions uh, about the Bible, about uh, life in general, about all sorts of different things they have questions on. And what we're noticing is these questions are are pretty much the same questions that adults have yeah. as well. So we're hoping this is a, a great opportunity for you to learn something and maybe to sit down and share with others, start some discussions. Uh, today we're talking about uh, divorce. The questions for today. Okay. What is the modern day church in America, or why does the modern day church in America seem to ignore the teachings on divorce? And then the second question, what does the Bible say about remarriage, uh, focusing on remarrying after a divorce? So if we're going to talk about divorce, obviously we should start by focusing on what the Bible has to say about marriage. So let's dig in uh, to our first passage for today, Matthew 19, 3 through 9. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command uh, one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. You know, one of the things is, uh, and we've talked about this in other places. I, I, I forget which episode or which question, but um, we do prioritize uh, some of the things in Scripture. And, and what I mean by that is we definitely value what Jesus says more than other things. And that doesn't mean that uh, what Moses said is any less valid. Um, but take, for example, the people speaking in this are the Pharisees and Jesus, right? Well, what the Pharisees say isn't um, as valuable to us. I mean, it teaches us something, but what Jesus says we know is the Word of God, right? And what the Pharisees say, we have to look at that and say, okay, what does Moses actually say, not just trust them? And so here we get, and I I say all that to say this, here we get Jesus' very own words about marriage. And so here's some things in this passage before we get specific that I think are super important. First off, Jesus shows us that the Bible is authoritative about marriage, right? And so what God created, you know, what God intended, male and female, and I know we've got an upcoming episode about the LGBT community and Christianity. How does that work? Uh, What we're hearing here is Jesus saying, listen, God created marriage. Here's the design, and he uses scripture to reinforce that. So the Bible is authoritative about marriage. That's one thing we need to take away from that. He also shows us 
in the example in this conversation between he and the Pharisees is that even God's people can get really far away from what God's intention was for marriage or what God's intention is today for marriage. So modern day context, 2021, sometimes the church is really far away from what God would have us be or do or whatever, right? That the church can get very off track. So let's kind of use that as a starting point that Jesus doesn't answer with what's lawful, but he points back to what God created and what God desires for us. Great. All right. And so let's dig into the idea of, of marriage is is something that God is very serious about. Yeah. I mean, and as a result, we should be serious about it as well. But why is it such a big deal to God? See, that's why you're a math teacher. Well, God is serious about marriage. Therefore, we should be serious about marriage. There we go. See, that's a math equation. I like it. All right. So uh, as humanity is created, um, we get two, I'll give it three, but major relationships. Uh, we get God's relationship to humanity, right? And our relationship to God. Uh, but then this primary relationship that we are to have beyond God, so secondary to God, but this primary relationship we should have on earth is with a spouse that God creates marriage. He says it's not good that man should be alone. He creates the woman, right? And then beyond that is humanity's relationship to the rest of the world, right? But this primary relationship of marriage, and it's it's not just human and human, right? But this that there's purpose, right? That the two should become one flesh. They should be able to be together. They'll make children, that kind of thing. And so what we get is this very tangible relationship that God goes on then in the Old Testament, God uses as a an image to teach us about our relationship between he and, and his people, right? Or modern day Jesus and the church that that, God, that Jesus calls the church the bride of Christ, right? That the Christ is the husband, that the church is the bride. And so this is a common image. It's something that you and I can understand as married men, right? We can, we can see that, feel that, touch that. We can understand that, even the struggles in it. But it becomes this primary relationship, and it's given this, this central, um, you know, kind of family unit relationship that then we can help understand other things like our relationship to God. So if, if that relationship, our marriage relationship, is compared to our relationship with, right. with God, um, what would be the reasons the Bible gives then that it's okay to get divorced? Right, so if this primary relationship is supposed to teach us about our relationship to God, divorce is a really bad message about our relationship to God, right? And so, um, but there are, there are some biblical outs and uh, I will give the biblical ones, and then there's some circumstances, I guess, we could talk about, too. So um, Matthew 19.9, right, uh, as Jesus was just talking to the Pharisees, sexual immorality. Uh, so this infidelity of a spouse, husband or wife, right? First Corinthians, a passage we'll also see today, talks about abandonment, where Paul talks about a spouse abandoning someone, and that you don't have to be stuck there. Like, if they bail, you're not, you're not stuck, right? And so... But there are some other circumstances, and uh, the Old Testament has probably more of them, uh, but things like uh, Leviticus 20 says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. <laughs> so we don't live that out today. Uh, we definitely don't advocate for that in the church, but in a theocracy thousands of years ago called Israel, right, where they were to be obedient to God, and, and God didn't want this to be perverted and, and taken and abused the way that it was, 
there was actually a death penalty for things. And so imagine you have a spouse, not you, not me. I would not say that Robin will punch me the next time she sees me. But uh, imagine someone has a spouse who's unfaithful and is caught in adultery and is executed. You don't have to worry about divorce anymore, right? And there's some other things about, you know, spousal abuse and beating people. There's other situations where the person would be put to death and then this conversation kind of becomes moot, right? But rather than focusing on what is allowable, um, I'd like to add a passage. And so 1 Corinthians 7 uh, begins with a couple of verses that use the male example, then the female example. Basically, if someone has a spouse who's an unbeliever that consents to remain with him or her, he should not divorce her. It goes on. It says, for the unbelieving, verse 14, the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. It goes on, adds in children. Otherwise, your children be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So 1 Corinthians seven fourteen is this place where I am reminded that the circumstance we're in may be being used by God for a greater purpose, a salvation, kingdom, eternal gospel purpose, right? And it has implication not just on me, but it has implication on my spouse, it has implication on my children, that kind of thing, right? That passage goes on and says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. So this is the abandonment verse, right? Uh, and then verse 16, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And so in scripture, we see as often a bigger purpose. Imagine this, like the first century church is persecuted. I mean, left and right, they are put to death, they're beaten, they're jailed, they're persecuted. And God allows that for a greater purpose, that the gospel spreads faster under persecution. And so if we kind of take that, and I'm not equating marriage to persecution, though, yes, some of you would say sometimes it feels that way, right? Uh, that we have to understand sometimes there's a bigger purpose beyond our happiness. And, and what I mean by that is most of the time as a pastor, when I have a couple in front of me who don't want to stay together, and whether it's a couple or an individual, they're saying, listen, I'm no longer happy. I don't love so-and-so anymore. This problem, and it's all about me, 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 right? And, I, and I'm not putting those people down. They're hurting. It's a struggle. But sometimes God has a bigger purpose. And sometimes we need to press past press past the hardship and circumstances, even the painful circumstances. Again, the church was persecuted even to the point of death, right? And see what God's bigger purposes can be in something. And so if God says, hey, remain married, and you're like, but hey, my wife is an alcoholic and blah, 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 or whatever, right? Again, not a biblical reason. And no, that's not okay. But maybe God is going to use this, just like 1 Corinthians 7 said, how do you know? you won't see your wife get saved through this. So if we have a, a Christian friend who comes to us and, and says they're thinking about getting divorced, how do you counsel someone like that? Yeah, and that happens, right? I mean, uh, that that's not a what if, that's a what's going to happen this week kind of feel, right? And let me just pause by saying marriage is tough, man. It's two selfish, sinful people living together and, you know, raising a family, buying a house, you know, suffering losses like deaths and families, going through all the hard things in life, man, and it's hard, right? And if we were perfect people, then we could expect perfect spouses, but that's not accurate, right? So first, man, I try and hear people out. Um, I want to hear what lies behind their issues, right? There's no one size fits all solution. I think Christianity has done some serious damage um, by applying a, a, you know, a go-to verse 
Well, you can't get divorced except for adultery, like the passage we just read. Or even on the other side, well, if they're willing to stay, stay. You know, you can't just apply things like they're bumper stickers, right? So hear things out. No one size fits all. Um, but what do we do with it? I mean, that's just a, that's a kind of a starting point. But um, I think we need to cast a bigger biblical vision for people uh, rather than just talking about sin and forgiveness, right? That divorce is a sin because then people go to forgiveness. Well, God will forgive me of my sin, so I'm willing to take that chance, right? But if we have a bigger biblical vision, again, like First Corinthians, like First Corinthians 7 says, how do you know what God's going to do through this? God might save your spouse through this. God might save other people through this. What about your children? Like there has to be a bigger picture than just I'm unhappy or, you know, this other person has perpetually done the same thing over and over again. And I think we need to call individuals or people more to the gospel than just to repentance, right? And so not just a, uh, and maybe that's both sides of the conversation, a biblical value for marriage if you're the one being wronged. And I, by the way, I never see a marriage that gets to a place of people wanting divorce where it's just one side. It's almost always both sides, right? And so on the one who feels the injured, they are the injured party, call them to a bigger biblical vision. On the one who is causing things, man, call them to a more gospel vision than just repentance, right? Because again, once we get down to this is a sin, people start balancing the fact that they have lots of sin and God forgives sin. And so they're like, forget it, I'm out, you know. So going back to our questions for today, the second question focused on in the case of divorce, what is the biblical view of remarrying? Yeah, it's so good. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, the verses just before what I read, uh, verses 10 and 11, Paul says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. I love that. He emphasized, this is from God, not just from me. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So here's the deal, right? That you shouldn't get divorced and that you shouldn't remarry. And then even, you know, Jesus says in the verse you read, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so remarriage under circumstances that are not given by God. So I, I no longer love this person. They've got perpetual sin that's affecting me. Um, I'm unhappy, whatever. And then you divorce and get remarried. The Bible calls that, repeatedly calls that adultery. And so the biblical view of remarriage in the cases of after divorce that is not allowed, right, is that it's adultery. And, and I got to be honest with you, man, I've said no to more marriages about this issue than probably any other. And it's just that, hey, if you treated your first marriage, and, and I want to qualify this. Let me, let me back up. I'll pick right back up on that thought in just a second. So first off, I think these passages apply to Christians, right? Uh, not non-Christians that go out and they get married, they get divorced, get married. This is about people that are Christians and married. How you treat the marriage you're in when you're a Christian matters. I don't think the things before you come to faith are what Paul's being talked about here, right? And so the second thing is, I, th this is about Christians knowing the value of marriage and the biblical value of marriage. And so if a Christian who knows better goes on and gets divorced for reasons not allowed by God, not allowed by Scripture— then I think as pastors and leaders, we should call them to something greater. I think we should say no to remarrying them more often. Now, back to the point, right? And, and I'll just, I'll lead with my life. I was married before I was a Christian. My wife divorced me while I was in and out of jail and prison. I don't blame her. I don't say that with any negative. But then I came to faith and I married my wife, Lisa, who I'm married to now 22 years. Okay, so I'm accountable to God for this marriage as a Christian, 
I know better. My wife is a Christian. We are accountable for this marriage, right? Nobody faults me for the one when I was a drug addict and in and out of jails and stuff, right? Nobody faults me for that one. I wasn't a Christian. I, I needed Jesus, not marriage counseling, right? And so um, this marriage, I don't think that's what people are talking about. They're talking about, hey, Christians in the church who know better, if you're willing to throw this away, ultimately what you're saying is God isn't big enough to fix my problems and you've got big issues in your faith. And so when people will treat marriage that cheaply as Christians who should know better, then remarriage is adultery. And so, uh, you know, you're stuck with a lot of times somebody sitting in front of you who's been divorced and remarried as Christians multiple times. They're now in this marriage and you're stuck with, you know, I'm not asking you to get divorced again. You know, we got to pour into what we have here. But if we have this moment where a Christian is considering divorce and they're ultimately wanting to be with someone else, man, I think we need to press in as a church. I don't think we do a great job, Church in America, need to press into this part deeper. All right, we're going to wrap it up with one last question. I know the answer to this because I pay attention on Sunday mornings when you're preaching. (laughs) And I know you've talked about something very similar to this very recently. Um, Can God, although I think most of us say, yeah, God can, right? Sure, of course. (laughs) But will God bless someone in a marriage they were not supposed to be in, like a remarriage? Yeah, it's a risky question, right? And so can God, sure. Will God, maybe. Okay, so let me, let me qualify this a little bit. I brought this up. I said this in church, and this has gotten uh, brought back up to me several times. You've talked about it. I've had staff that asked me about it. People in the church asked me about it. I was talking about David and polygamy, right? David married multiple women, and God never allowed for that. God called one man, one woman, just like Jesus said earlier, just like Genesis, right? One man, one woman, marriage. But culture got so far away from that that you're left with a bunch of polygamists and God started somewhere, right? So God begins with David. We talked about that last week in the last episode, I think it was about slavery. Like, what do you do when you're working with a culture so far away from God? Well, you start where it is and you start calling them to a better place. So can God bless someone in a marriage they were not supposed to be in? Sure, I think so, right? Um, Does that condone it? No, right? Because you got to know, and again, we've got an upcoming episode about LGBT Christians. Just what do we do with same-sex attracted or gender dysphoria people who love Jesus? What do we do with that, right? And how do we, how do we treat that? And so what I don't want anybody to hear is just run down this road. God can bless you even though you get remarried and calls it adultery or because you like a same-sex partner and you get married or whatever. Can God bless something? Sure. Will God bless something? It's a whole different conversation. And what I would say is it's not whether or not God blesses it, but what is God trying to do in the brokenness, right? So what is God trying to do through your broken marriage that God wants to save? Or what is, again, looking forward, what does God want to do with your broken sexuality? And, and what might God be doing in the brokenness, not in what you want? And so God can bless anything he wants to. Uh, but God clearly doesn't promise to bless sin, right? And so can God bless us in broken circumstances? Of course, or we'd all be in trouble because we're all in broken circumstances. But God clearly says, I have a better plan, a better way. Stay in the marriage. Stay to what I've called you to. One man, one woman for a lifetime with very, very rare exclusions. And again, those exclusions are options, not mandates, right? If somebody has been unfaithful, I've seen God heal that marriage. It doesn't mean you have to divorce. I mean, you can, 
So what would God want to do through this relationship? I think we should be asking more of those questions rather than what can I get away with if I do it. Great. Yeah, and a difficult topic. And, and if you have questions, if you have comments you'd like to make, please send us emails at questions at generations.email. Um, yeah, I love the, the point you made earlier of it's our number one priority should not just be our happiness, right? We need to think bigger picture. What might God do in this situation? How can God bless us and others right. um, through those difficult times? And so um, hang in there. And again, if you've got questions, please send us an email. Uh, thanks for listening. Every Tuesday, we release a new podcast, and as Jeff said, we'll be dealing with uh, homosexuality and and some of the struggles that go along with that in the church uh, in an upcoming episode. We're glad you joined us. We hope you will share uh, the podcast, like it, subscribe to it, and uh, yeah, let us know. Give us some feedback. Have a great week. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.